Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but it is really hard to predict the future. And this year, I've felt it maybe more than, more than ever. It is really hard to know what's coming next and to kind of look down the road and say, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and I actually went back and found some quotes of some people who tried to predict the future, and they were like kind of hilariously wrong. And let me show you a couple of them. Here's a few quotes from in the history. Drill for oil? You mean drill into the ground to find oil? You're crazy said the associates of Edwin Drake, who later that year drilled the first oil well in 1859. The telephone has too many shortcomings to be considered as a means of communication, says the Western Union Internal Memo from 1879. Actually, they're right again because... uh, yeah, stay with me. Don't don't go, don't get ahead of me. They're they're right uh, they're right uh, again because we don't use the telephone anymore. We just text people. So Western Union has come back around. Uh, all right, next one. The horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. Said the president of the Michigan Savings Bank, advising an investor in the Ford Motor Company in 1903. Yeah, here's a famous one. We have peace for our time said Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of England, after he had just had a meeting with Adolf Hitler in Germany in 1938. Here's one. Netflix, that's nonsense. Ain't nobody gonna sign up to have movies stream over the internet. Some dude at Blockbuster in 2001. I don't know if that's a direct quote. I made that one up, but they did have the opportunity to buy Netflix. Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix in 2001 and they passed because they didn't think it had a future. And then finally, this one, we will probably have to only, only have to do church online for about two weeks. Chris Barris, March of 2020. It's not easy to be right about this stuff, you guys. If, if I, it, my, my track record in 2020 has been fairly poor. I don't know about you. I just, well, I'm like, oh, you know, I, there's this whole like, yeah, you know, by August or whatever. I'm like, surely they're not going to close schools this year. Surely they're not. And it's just been wrong and wrong. And every time I've tried to guess what's going to happen next, I just haven't, uh, it hasn't been good. If I was a prophet, I would, be, uh, I would be having not a really great year. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week, and, and he said, he, we were just talking about how this year has gone, and he, and he basically just said, man, our church, we had so many good plans this year in, tw- in January, and it just all has gone wrong. And, and I feel like that would be a, a good summary phrase for us to all write about 2020. 2020, I had some really good plans for that year. That's, that was our, that, that, that's what we should write about the year, right? Because things have not worked out as, as we had hoped, because it's really hard to know what's coming next. And so I want to talk in this series, and, and today... Um, Continuing the series called The Road to Christmas, and we've been talking about the things that led up to the birth of Jesus, the, the, the mindset, the beliefs, the worldview that was in place before Jesus shows up, because you've heard the Christmas story before, and we'll talk about it some, but you've heard about Jesus and Mary and Joseph and these things, and angels and wise men, but what led up to that? That didn't come out of nowhere, and so what were the sort of the precursors, or the shadows of that thing that, that happened in the thousands of years before that? And so we talked about Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior that people were expecting. We talked about him last week as a king in the line of, of the great King David of Israel. Uh, Jesus was king. Topher talked to you a couple weeks ago, and he talked about the idea of prophecy, 
that Jesus' birth was predicted by all these different, uh, these different people throughout history. Um, and today I want to talk specifically about Jesus as uh, not just as a savior, not just as a king, not just as God or a, a nice guy or something like that, but Jesus as a prophet, specifically a prophet like Moses. Now, Moses has a lot of history and, and, and backstory to him. Moses would have been, when, when Jesus walked the earth, Moses is the guy for the Jews that's kind of the guy. Like, there's Abraham and then there's Moses, one of the most important figures in all of history. And so, Moses leads the, the people. Moses uh, is, it lives in Egypt, born in Egypt, and, and he ends up being adopted by Pharaoh, the, the king, right? The Pharaoh's daughter. And he grows up in the palace of the Pharaoh. And so Moses, although he's Jewish, from basically would, would have been like from a poor Jewish family, he grows up in royalty and he has the, the, all the, the, the leisure life of, of growing up in royalty in ancient Egypt. So he, he grows up in that. Uh, as, a, as a grown man, he, he runs into some problem. He, he kills someone. He runs off to the desert, ends up kind of hanging out there, being a shepherd for a while, kind of doing that thing. And God calls Moses and says, at when Moses is like 80 years old, God calls Moses and said, I want you to lead the people. I want you to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Now, the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. So for 400 years, an entire ethnic group was enslaved by the, the dominant ethnic group, right? So We've had a history of that in our country too. Lots of countries have that kind of thing. In ancient Egypt, the Israelites were slaves and God wants to deliver them and he raises up Moses to do it. And so in about uh, 1440-ish BC, 1446, something like that, uh, God raises up Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh says, let my people go, and then 10 plagues fall on the Egyptian people that God sends, and because of those plagues and, and the stress of that and the pressure of that, they, they eventually, um, Pharaoh releases um, the Israelites, and they go out, and they wander in the desert, and they go following God through the desert for 40 years until they eventually end up in the promised land, which is the land that's modern day, kind of that land of Israel, just east of the Mediterranean Sea. They, they land there. While Moses is wandering in the desert for 40 years, he writes some books. The first five books of the Old Testament are those, and we have those recorded for us. Um, Moses is a, uh, a prophet. Now, the word prophet is from two words, pro and femi, which means before uh, to, to speak or proclaim. To, so to speak before something. So a prophet would speak for, speak for God and speak before the thing happens. So it, it, we think of prophecy like total uh, future prediction. And there's some of that, but it's also to speak on behalf of God. And, uh, and so what you would see in Scripture is that the prophets, when they spoke up, they would say, hey, everybody, listen up. God wants to tell you something. Here it is. If you do this thing, this is going to happen. So if you do good things, God's going to bring this. If you do bad things, it's going to go badly for you. This is the kind of stuff prophets would say to the people over and over. And the, the deal is, if you're a prophet, you hate your job because nobody wants to hear it. So imagine if God speaks to you today and says to you, hey, I want you to get up and go out into Carytown, and I want you to proclaim these things as my truth to everybody who walks by. And some, let's say it's like really unpopular stuff, right? Let's say God calls you to go stand up and say that I want you to speak the truth as the way it's be, and, and I'm sick of Richmond, and if Richmond doesn't change their ways, I'm going to judge that whole city, and I'm going to bring down all sorts of pain on the city. Do you want to stand up and go deliver that message? No, you do not, because what do we do? We shoot the messenger, and this is the way it was for the prophets, too. They hated their job. You didn't see a prophet like, oh, this will be really fun. I get to go tell people how much God is irritated with their behavior. Like, nobody wants that job, and this is what they had to do. 
They had to step up and speak for God, on behalf of God, to, to the people. And it's, and, and it's lonely. Now, Moses was a prophet. He was a, he was a leader. He was a judge. He was a shepherd. He's all the things you think of. But he was also a prophet. He spoke on behalf of God to the people. And it's a lonely position. And when you're speaking for God in particular, it is lonely at the top to be God's representatives. It's difficult. Well, this is what it says about uh, Moses, because Moses knew that he wasn't the be-all, end-all. He knew something else was coming. And Moses uh, wrote this down. Deuteronomy 18, listen to what he said to the people. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So Moses is predicting, hey, someone else is coming. I'm a prophet, I speak for God, but there's someone else coming that you're going to listen to, someone that is, that is like you, I will raise up. Well, that, that someone didn't show up anytime soon. It wasn't like the next day there was someone else showed up. It didn't happen. In fact, when Moses dies, it records his death. And at the end of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 34, which is um, the, the, last, the last of what Moses wrote, there is a postscript that has been added there about Moses' death because obviously he didn't write about his own death. Okay, so there's a postscript that another author had added in there after he dies. And listen to what it says, Deuteronomy chapter 34. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants, to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Okay. Don't get hung up on mighty deeds of terror. We can talk about it another time. Uh, that Moses, okay, he, he says, okay, Joshua's the next one in line, and Joshua's great. Joshua did great things, good leader, all that stuff, but there's still not been this one that's risen up that's been amazing. And Moses said, someone's coming, and no one's done it. Still hasn't happened. And so for, from, a, from about 1404, when they enter the promised land, till about 400 uh, B.C., uh, for a, reign of, or a span of about a thousand years, God is going to speak through prophets. Uh, Amos and, and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and these people, a lot of them have books in the Old Testament. You read their stuff and they're going to stand before the people and they're going to say, this is what God says and then the people are not going to do it and then stuff happens and they get exiled and they return from exile and all the stuff goes on for about a thousand years. These prophets rise up. But none of them are the one that Moses spoke of. None of them are like this great one that you will listen to. They're all kind of, and, and basically like they all get killed by the people for, for, what, they're, for what, they're, what they're saying. And, and then around 400 BC, God goes quiet for 400 years and doesn't say anything anymore. And the people are wondering, has God left us? Has God abandoned us? He, he just stops speaking. And then fast forward to around 4 or 5 BC, Matthew chapter 1 records it this way. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, what we know from just reading that account of the birth of Jesus is that Jesus was a boy. He was born from a virgin. He had this uh, dad who's like an adoptive dad, uh, kind of steps in as parent, that, that God the Father somehow is dad, but then Joseph steps in as well, um, and, and that he's going to be the Savior who will save the people from their sins. Um, and he's the one that the prophets have been talking about, that something about this guy, Jesus, coming to the world fulfills all these things the prophets have been saying for a thousand years or, or more. Um, so we, we know some things about Jesus that he, will, as we've read in the past, he's the king, he's the Savior, the Messiah, um, but he's also a pro- he is also a prophet, like Moses. In fact, um, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, he stood up and gave a speech about six weeks after Jesus died and resurrected. Peter stands up and gives a speech in Acts chapter 2, and then in Acts chapter 3, he talks to the people, and and one of the things he tells them is, hey, you guys killed Jesus, and Jesus was the one we were waiting for. He he refers in Acts chapter 3 to Jesus as the righteous and holy one. He refers to Jesus as the author of life, I think we could agree that if you call someone the author of life, that's pretty high praise. That's a pretty big deal. And listen to what he says about him in Acts chapter 3. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and then he may send the Christ appointed for you." Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, and he's going to quote the thing we just read from Deuteronomy. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring all the families on earth shall be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter looks at what Moses had said 1,500 years prior to that and said, this is talking about Jesus. He's the one who's been raised up. He is the, he's Moses 2.0. You all revere Moses and think he's a big deal. I'm telling you that the better has come. He's Moses 2.0. He has superseded everything about Moses. He is the prophet sort of to, to end all prophets. He's the one who speaks um, of, of, of the truth. And so here's a couple of things we can learn. Number one, Jesus points us to the truth. This is what prophets do. Prophets bring the truth of God to the people or prophets point people to the actual truth of God. And this is a very unpopular thing to do. If you speak the truth of God in culture, even today in our culture right now, if you go, you could, you could speak the truth of God publicly on the streets or on social media and it will be unpopular. There are things people just don't want to hear 
about what God says is the way things are and, and is the truth. We don't like this stuff. This is what prophets do. They point us to the truth. And when Jesus shows up, he points us to the truth. Famously, he does this in something called the Sermon on the Mount. You may have read it. We've talked about it before. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. One of the things you'll notice if you go back and read that most famous teaching of Jesus, you'll see him say, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Or he will say, the law teaches this, but I tell you. Or Moses taught you this thing, but I tell you. He's, what is he? He's Moses 2.0. He's saying, look, you know the laws, you know the rules, you know what came down from the prophet, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it even farther. You thought it was this, but I'm telling you it's this. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I will tell you that looking at a woman lustfully is committing adultery in your heart. Oh, okay, so it's not just about breaking the law, it's about what's going on in your heart. Okay, you've heard that it was said in the law that Moses taught you, don't kill people. But I tell you, when you're angry with people in your heart, that's where the problem is. Oh, okay, it's deeper than that. Jesus takes the truth that the prophets had taught long ago, and he takes it to another level. He points people to the deeper truths of this, of, of, of reality. Now, when I say points people to the truth or the deeper truth, um, I think in, in 2020, in, in the West, in America in particular, I think this kicks up some things in us. I told you last week that the word of the year in 2016 was post-truth. So here we are four years into post-truth as a culture, and this kicks up some stuff in us. If, if I say, this is true, we live in a culture where you go, well, I have a phone in my pocket. I can double check if that's true. I'll ask Siri, and Siri will tell me if it's true or not. Or, like, I can find out if it's fake news or this has been marked by Twitter as fraudulent or this claim is, is debated or whatever. Like, we can do that kind of stuff all day long with every claim of truth made anywhere ever, basically. We don't have to go to the gatekeepers of all knowledge through libraries or universities or school teachers. We can all just kind of figure it, up, figure it out for ourselves as we go. This is the culture that we're living in. So when I say that Jesus points us to the truth... This kicks up some stuff. Like, which truth? Is it, is it sourced? Is it backed up? By, uh, uh, do you have references for that? Basically, we have two ideas about truth in our culture that are most popular today. Number one, we think that um, if you take God out of the equation, you assume there's no God, then truth becomes um, what I can prove scientifically. So truth is backed by science. Truth is the things that you can see, touch, smell, hear, taste, like that you can experience it. And if you can experience it, then it is true. And I can test it with a microscope or a telescope or something like that. If I can test something, then it is actually true in absence of God. So there's no truth about meaning or purpose or any of that squishy kind of stuff. The only truth to build your life upon is the stuff that, that science can prove. Uh, you see this in history. Uh, one of the most famous atheists from the 20th century is a guy named Bertrand Russell. And I want to I read to you a quote from Bertrand Russell about uh, this foundation upon which we build our lives now. And, and he was very much an atheist, a famous one. Um, and, and so listen to what he said. Man is the product of accidental collisions of atoms all the noonday brightness of human genius is destined to extinction in the vast death of our solar system. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitu habitation be safely 
built. He may be right, but gosh, that's depressing. Right? Only on the foundation of unyielding despair can our soul be built. This is the post-truth world. This is science with the capital S. Like, the only thing that is true is what we can prove in a lab. This is where this goes. There's no meaning to it. You are just a collection of atoms bouncing around in the vast solar system and in the universe. You're just a drop in the well, and you're going to just disappear, and nobody will care that you were here, and it doesn't really matter. Don't think about that for too long, because it doesn't go to good places, right? But let's be honest, that's, that's a foundation that, that, that people will try to build their lives upon, and they're not going to think about it all the way through. You just don't do that. There's too much Netflix to watch to think through the implications of those beliefs, right? There's, there's too much mind-numbing that we can do so we don't have to think about how empty that is. And if you point out, well, but what is true? Is that, is that actually true? And you, and you kind of go toe-to-toe around it with people. Then people sidestep it and they go, well, I mean, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Nope, that's not what the word means. That's not how that works. This, but that's what we try to do because the, 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 the scientific, I can connect truth to an actual outside of me concept is uncomfortable for people. So we go to a second view of truth. If, if not just it's the scientific thing, we go to the second view of truth and it's this, that truth is just something that is found inside of you. Truth is found inside of you. It's not out there for you to like take it in. It's inside you. And so in order to find truth, you don't study, you don't do philosophy and science and all those things. You go inward. And if you go inward, you will find the truth in you. Now, I know you've heard that before because you've seen Disney films. I just gave you the plot line of like every Disney film ever, right? There's a heroine, and unfortunately, her parents are gone because they're always gone. I don't know why. Her parents are gone. Things are bad. Uh, She's got a struggle she's running up against. And if she goes inward to find the truth, and then, and then when she discovers the thing inside of her, then she lives out that, and then it, it, like, it works out, right? This is the other worldview in our culture. The truth is out there, and it only can be found under a, a, a microscope, or the truth only exists when you generate it inside you. Uh, a, a New York Times bestselling author, uh, Glennon Doyle Melton, she wrote a book, uh, Untamed, this year. And there's lots of quotes I could pull from to illustrate this point. But let me just read you one thing she says in the book. She says this, The facts were there right in front of me to see, but the truth was right there inside of me to feel. The facts, that's that stuff out there. You know, facts. Fake, in a world of fake news, I can see why we're skeptical about it. But the facts are right out there in front of me to see. But the truth, man, that's, that's inside. And I'm not thinking it, I'm feeling it. Like, I, I feel the truth. That's, that's how I, I know. And, and we have to recognize this mindset, this worldview is very dangerous. Feelings are fickle, right? You know this. I know this. Feelings are an incredibly unreliable way to live your life. How I feel about something has, in part, has to do with what it is, the truth of it, maybe, but it's also about what I had for breakfast and how much sleep I got last night and what was our last conversation like and what's the source. And like, 
Feelings are an unreliable way to live your life. They're important. But to say that we should only, you know, live, live your own truth bravely, is this, a, is this actually good advice for adults to live? I don't think so. Now, I get it. You may have a voice in your head of shame, and we all do. You may have a voice in your head that's got a lot of pain in your background, and I understand that, and, I, and, and we want to overcome that, and, and I, I teach people, and I coach people to recognize that, and I've worked with people on that. We do some of that in a transformation class, but it's, but it's easy for the pendulum to swing way too far and go, ignore every voice from the outside and only trust your inner voice, your inner guide, your inner truth. No, that, that, that ain't it. So we have to, we have to connect our life to, to something greater than just our, our, own, our own thing. Here's, here's my conviction, and I learned this from a mentor of mine in ministry. He, he said this, everyone is better off when they live in accordance with truth. Everyone. We're all better off when we live in accordance with the truth. And that is what Jesus points us to. He points us to truth with a capital T. And the sooner you align with that truth, the sooner you will flourish. And I know we want to fight it, and I know we want to disagree, and we don't like his teachings on heaven, hell, money, greed, sex, marriage, gender, uh, you know, all of the things across the board. We don't like it. But when we align ourselves with his truth, there's flourishing to happen. And the reason for this is it's not that Jesus just points us to the truth. It's this number two. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Listen to what he says about himself in John 14. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is an astounding statement that he makes. This is is Moses 2.0 saying, look, I'm it. I am what you have been waiting for. I, and, and, and not just, I'm a good teacher. I'm a nice guy. I know some things. I can kind of show you the way, maybe sort of, I'm a helpful guide. It's not that kind of stuff. He says, it's not, I can point you to the way. It's, I am the way. It's not, I, I, I know some truth. It's, I am the truth and the life. This is a big, big deal, what he's saying. And people understood he, he, was, he was serious about this. Um, he doesn't want, it's a, and it's a very exclusive statement. He, he's, not, he's not like, I am one way among many and all roads lead to God and you can follow me or later you'll be able to follow Muhammad or Gandhi as a, as a second and third option if you need one. He doesn't say that. He says he is the way to God. He's, he's not like a walking embodiment of like a coexist bumper sticker. It's an exclusive statement. And we need to understand this because you can't, you can't hear him say that and then go, you know, Jesus, I think he was like a nice teacher. No, he was not. He was not a nice teacher. You, don't, you can be a nice teacher, but you can't say that. You can't say you are the embodiment of truth. You are the way. That's not what nice teachers say. Um, he, he, he doesn't claim to be a nice teacher. He didn't claim to be a prophet like Muhammad. He claims to be ultimate. And they killed him because they knew what he was saying. They knew, he, they knew what he was really getting at. Jesus says, I am the way. You've got two options about that. He's right or he's wrong. 
If he's wrong about that and he's not the way to God, he doesn't understand God and he's misguided, misdirected, he's just a relic from an ancient time and it doesn't matter, then feel free to ignore what he says and go on with your life if, he, if he's wrong about that. But if he's right and he is God in the flesh and he is the embodiment of truth and he is life and he can direct us to our eternity and our future, then we need to pay attention to what he's saying because it's a big deal. It's everything. And we need, to, we need to be dialed into that. If he's wrong, don't give it much thought. But if he's right, just entertain this idea. Entertain this idea in your head. If you're watching online, you're in the room, just, just let this idea sit in your head. What if Jesus is right about this? What if he is the truth of, of the universe? What if that's true? And then what am I going to, what am I going to do about it? See, I think if we're honest in our souls, in a very honest place, in a very honest moment where you don't, maybe one of those things you don't say out loud very often or maybe ever, here's the deal. It's not that we think that Jesus isn't the truth. It's that we're afraid that he is. And that makes us uncomfortable. That Jesus is the truth, that he is the life, that he is the way. If that is true, that makes me uncomfortable because that means there's a God. And if that's true, that means I might have to change some things because that God might judge me and that makes me very uncomfortable. Like, I don't think I've met too many, like, honest-to-goodness atheists. Like, people who are like, I've done all the research, I've examined all the facts, and I have no compelling evidence that says that a God exists who runs the universe and orders the whole, uh, everything you see. I don't meet many people like that. And in fact, the people that you will meet like that, if you could really drill down to it, are probably people that have been very disappointed in the way something has worked out. There are always reasons why we believe the things that we believe. And if we drill down beneath it, there's some stuff there. And for me to acknowledge that a God exists means I, I, I'm not, I don't get to do everything I want to do all the time whenever I want. And I don't like that. And it makes me uncomfortable. So, so think about it. Because you know people like that, right? You know people who may claim to be agnostic or don't care about God. It's because they haven't given it much thought or they have and it makes them uncomfortable. This is your father-in-law. This is your brother. This is your, this is your sister. This is your cousin. This is your coworker. We all know people that are like this. And one of the things I appreciate about the Christmas season is we're focused in on Christ and, and that this season can push us further towards the truth. And it will be good for us if we embrace this. And it will be good because this last point, number three, the truth will set you free. Jesus has a conversation with religious leaders of his day and he says this in John chapter eight. We'll put it up on the screen. So, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you, it's, it's, a, it's an if-then statement, right? It's, it's, these things hang on one another. Here's what you have to do. If you will stay with Jesus, abide in his word, stick it out with him. If you do that, then you're gonna be his disciples. You'll be his followers, his apprentices. And if you do that, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna know the truth like the truth of the world, the truth of relationships, the truth of money, the truth of sex, the truth of all the things in life. You're going to know the truth. 
And that will liberate you. It'll set you free. Now, their response is like our response. Because what we want to do is say, yo, I'm free. What are you talking about? I am so free right now. You have no idea, Jesus. I am like, I live in the land of the free. We sing about it. It's the land of the free and the home of the brave. That's where I live, man. I am so free. That's what they thought too. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Oh, except the 400 years of slavery in Egypt that they forgot. That's weird, but okay, moving on. Ignoring that whole section of history. How is it, how is it that you say we will, you will become free? What are you talking about, Jesus? I'm free. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is a hard issue in their day. It's a hard issue in our day. We feel like we are free. And we are free, right? Until the governor drops another restriction. But generally, we feel like, I can do whatever I want. And here's the truth that Jesus points us to. Yeah, you're free and you'll sin and you will be enslaved to it. You will cast off the chains of restraint and you will, you will shackle yourself to something else. You are as free as you want um, and then you're gonna get addicted to your job, to relationships, to porn, to alcohol, to media, to food. Jesus is offering true freedom. True freedom. Not to do whatever you want, whenever you want, because that will end up in slavery again. Jesus is going to give you some guardrails, but he's going to give you guardrails, and within that, you will be able to be liberated. And it's, it, it's an incredible thing. And you know this is true. You know that true liberation actually comes with guardrails. You've experienced it. If you take the goldfish out of the bowl at your house and throw it on the floor and be like, be free, goldfish. I don't want you, because goldfish existence is super sad, right? Like in that little bowl, that junk is sad. It's just round, you know. You take it out and be like, be free. It is no longer free. You have removed the guardrails. It is not freer now. It's actually going to die. Right? Fishing tips 101. I, I, that's all I got. Like we, we tried, we killed all the fish we've ever had. We are not good at this. Um, but you know that. You know that that true freedom requires restraint. This is why we live under a budget. Spend whatever you want, whenever you want, will, will lead to excess and will lead to your downfall. Living under a budget with its constraints, there will actually be some freedom in that. You're not more free when you don't live on a budget. This is the true of everything. You're more free when you live on a diet. Uh, you, you, could, you, can, you can live on a diet. You could be married, you know, which is really just tying yourself down to one person, right? You can, you can exercise, which is going to the gym all the time. You could pray, which is setting aside time for that. You could read the scripture, which is setting aside time for that. All these things in some ways seem like they limit your freedom, but in rea- reality, and some of those things can, can actually be liberating. It can be a, a healthy thing. So what I wanted to do right now is just close by saying, so there it is, guys. Live in accordance with truth. Jesus is the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. Let's go home or go to a restaurant that's questionably open or whatever right now. Let's just go do it, right? And, and we're done. And I had Topher read my sermon, and he said, he said, yeah, I really like this sermon, but what are we supposed to do? Like, what's a, 
practical steps? What do you want people to go do at the end of this? So I came up with five things. So if the sermon's longer, it's his fault. Um, But they're quick. And these are things I've said before. uh, And I want to give you five quick things here. And I could probably give you 15. And honestly, all of these need their own sermon, and they're going to get them in like February. So I've got a lot of next year already planned, and this stuff is coming. But let me just give you five quick hitters of, I would say, how, how do I live in accordance to the truth and have that truth set me free? What, what, what steps would I take? Like, that's a cool high-level concept, but what am I actually going to do? Here are five things, and these are going to sound, some of them common sense, you're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Some of you are going to, you're not even going to write these down, you're going to be like, yeah, I know that. Okay, so here, here we go. Number one, read scripture every day. Read scripture every day. Now, I say every day. I'm going to go five days a week on this, okay? Let's go Monday through Friday, the work week, right? Read scripture every day. Um, I don't know anything better than that. And there's a lot of data behind that. We'll get to it in February, I think. But there's a lot of data around how valuable it is to get the scripture in your heart and mind and what it does when you get into a daily routine of doing that and how it affects your mental and emotional and spiritual health. It's a big deal, Read scripture every day. And there's no, there's no prescription of how much. It doesn't have to be a book or a chapter. It could be a paragraph, just something. Read and meditate on scripture a little bit every day. Okay? That's number one. Number two, limit your intake of media. Um, you, you cannot get the truth of God in you in a paragraph of scripture and then marinate your brain in your feed for eight hours and expect that that's not going to affect the other, right? Like, the truth of God can, can come to you from the scripture, but if, you, if, you're, if your life is lived in the memes of, of the internet, uh, that, that's not going to help. Like, memes may be funny, they might get you in the feels, but they're not necessarily the truth. So you have to be anchored in the truth. So limit media um, intake. Uh, if you need to go cold turkey and do fasts of various types of media, I know different people in this church, and, and I've done it at times too, like different people have done it for, for seasons. Limit your intake of media. Um, number three, get quiet to hear God's voice. Get quiet. This is a, the Christian practice of silence and solitude. Uh, this has been, the, these things in some ways have been advocated for a couple thousand years now, so I'm not telling you anything new, but get quiet. Um, I try to have some quiet time each morning, um, because uh, there's a lot of noise. There's noise out there. There's noise in my head. And you, God will communicate to you. God is communicating to you, but you're not going to hear it if it's noisy all the time. Um, you, you will just move past it and get distracted by your to-do list and all that kind of stuff. You've got to practice. You've got you to really train the muscle of getting quiet. It's not easy, um, but it's, it's, it's worth it to quiet, breathe, and, and, and listen for God's voice. Uh, number four, get some sleep. Um, you know, you, sleep deprivation is a real thing, and uh, burning the candle at both ends is a real thing, and you will not hear from God. You will not, um, you, you will not be living the life that God calls you to. You will not live a life of faith. You will not be dialed into the truth of God and know it and let it change you if you are cranky because you are out of sleep. Um, that's, that's a real thing. So um, get some sleep. The I know those shows won't watch themselves, but you can, you know, put them away and, and try them at a, a, a different time. Um, it, rest is a, is a big deal. In fact, it's, it's so important that Sabbath rest is one of the Ten Commandments. Before the commandment to thou shall not murder, there was the commandment of you need to take a day off. Probably because if you don't take a day off, then you'll get to the murder part. So, uh, you know, like, re- 
chill. So get some sleep. And then last one, eat right. Eat right. Um, like I'm not a nutritionist, I'm, you know, so we can take, take that with a grain of salt and all, but I'm, and I'm probably not the first person to ever tell you that you should eat well. Um, I think your mom told you that. You should listen to her. Um, that's what I've discovered in my life. She was right about that. Uh, you know, I went, I went all day yesterday without having a vegetable until dinner, and then my wife snuck some in there, and I was like, oh, yeah, these again. That's right. There's vegetables. I should probably do that. You know, man shall not live on biscuits and jam alone, even if it's Saturday. So, um, yeah, eat, eat well, because that's going to affect all the other things as well. Um, I've, I've probably been more disciplined in my eating since July till now than I have been in just about my entire life. Um, and that's been a good thing. Uh, it's been a helpful thing to, to kind of sort through the fog of, of the crazy. So those are, those are some quick ones. I probably got 10 more, but we'll do it another time. Um, but those are ways that if you want to know the truth and be dialed into it and have it set you free, you've got to do some things and, and set some things in order. And those are some things you could practice right now. Um, so this Christmas season, we're going to celebrate that Christ has come. And we're going to celebrate that at Advent, and we're excited. And, and we're going to celebrate that Jesus came as the prophet and as the truth. And that truth can liberate us. As a prophet, Jesus predicts the future. And as we saw at the beginning here, predicting the future is hard. Um, I don't know what's coming in 2021, and you don't either. Um, but I do know the one who does know. I'm, I'm trying to stay close to Jesus, and, and, and I hope you are too, because that's the thing that's going to really help. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you for another day. I thank you for the, 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 uh, the end of the year as, as things are wrapping up here, and the, the hope and the promise of tomorrow and, and what it brings. God, I, um, I pray that we stay close to you, that we, we do the, the, the simple disciplines that help us stay in acknowledging the truth. And God, I pray that the truth lodges itself into our hearts and we accept it even when we don't like it um, and even when it's hard. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.